0: This is Fluid Truth and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers thomas We explore a simple question of whether there is equity in the justice system. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. I am pleased to introduce Miss Cicero as my guest today. She is an experienced and strong human resources professional with a Master's of science focused in human resources. She's also the CEO and founder of Shiba Consulting and a mentor to many. Sansarei and I sat down to to discuss the importance of having a seat at the table and the challenge for justice-involved individuals. What a pleasure to have her here with us at Fluid Truth. I'm attorney Shirley Skyers thomas and this is Fluid Truth. I am so pleased to have my friend and colleague with us this, this afternoon. And this is Ms. Sansaree Cicero. She's the manager of human resources for the Walgreens in Windsor, Connecticut, and the CEO and founder of Sheba Consulting. Sansaree, welcome. Thank you for having me, Shirley. I appreciate it. Yeah, I always like talking to friends and colleagues those who are in the thick of doing the work and i know you're in the thick of doing the work so my overarching question that i always ask is is there equity in the justice system but there are a number of different ways to answer that but before we get there tell us a little about bit about yourself all right so
1: hi i'm sansa Rae cicero i am the manager of human resources at the walgreens Distribution Center in Windsor, Connecticut, and I'm also the CEO and founder of Shiba Consulting. Shiba stands for the Society of Human Engagement and Business Alignment. Um, we support small businesses of color with HR compliance, staffing, um, payroll, and talent development, succession planning, and so. Um, some of the work that we've done over the years with making sure that we support small businesses of color to help them to to sustain their business. Um, I have 27 years of HR experience, a master's in human resources and labor relations. Um, I have uh, been acknowledged and recognized as one of the most influential individuals of color by the NAACP. Uh, in 2018. And I've also partnered with them to launch their one million job campaign for individuals who are justice involved with uh, transitioning transitioning them back into um, equitable and fair employment. So definitely have some stories for you around equity and justice.
0: So that already speaks volumes. You haven't even gotten into anything yet, but just kind of giving an overview of your expertise and your interest and what drives you and the work that you do. I know you have stories. So when we consider equity in the justice system, what have you seen? What has presented itself to you?
1: Well, I got to start out with my own personal story that I'm sure that if anyone has ever heard me speak. Um, They know that I am the youngest of four. Uh, I have three older brothers. Uh, My father was formerly incarcerated um, and was pretty much incarcerated um, all of my uh, young adult life. And when he transitioned out of, um, you know, the correctional facilities that he was in, he could not get any work. It, it, It just, it was difficult for him To try to transition into any type of sustainable employment uh, based off of his record and uh, i will say one of the things that drives me to do the work that i'm doing is uh, i wanted to make sure that not only uh did i push the work for other people to never be impacted the way that he was um it actually became a 27 year long career in human resources to ensure that i continued uh, to do the work around that. So, um, that's, that's, you know, I, I call it God's work, so I, I don't want to get too spiritual, but I know that, uh, each one teach one. And so, uh, I just like to pay it forward through the experiences that I've had. Um, and I will tell you that it is a constant pursuit. Uh, are we where we were 27 years ago? Absolutely not. Are we, are we where we need to be right now? Absolutely not. We continue to work um, toward arriving to what is fair and equitable for individuals uh, who may be seeking sustainable employment, who may be seeking fairness, um, and maybe just a seat at the table to have a conversation around what they can do so they can show, showcase their skills.
0: I, I love the way that you've taken your own personal experience and been able to um, identify that that was the drive for your human resources career, the 27 years. And in addition to what you've seen, I'm really interested in, in those individuals or those stories that really stand out to you for those that you were a voice for or those that needed a seat at the table and you were able to direct them or to be that one to usher them into a different place. So can you tell me about instances such as those?
1: Yes, sure. So I, I think that part of what I do um, and have done uh, is mentor individuals who just need some support and guidance on what to do with their resumes on what to do with uh, mock interviews on how to show up and how to present themselves and how to use their transferable skills uh, to even leverage conversations that they typically wouldn't have. Uh, and then outside of that, I am the advocate for those individuals in the background. You have to have someone that looks like them uh, in the background supporting the conversation and aligning themselves with the work with the cause with the um the the actual uh that conversation that they're they're looking to have part of it is um they don't have a voice and so when they don't feel like they have a voice or they don't know how to exercise their voice part of my job is to help them either a find it b be that voice c both
0: right that makes a lot of sense to me that makes a lot of sense and over your years. I keep on going back in my mind at 27 years, man. That's a good amount of time. I started when I was 10. Now child labor
1: laws weren't really
0: <laughs> around She then. tried it. She <laughs> tried it, ladies and gentlemen. I did. She tried it.
1: I did. Don't tell nobody. <laughs> but uh,
0: give me some instances. Tell me about the seat at the table. I love that as a theme. The seat at the table.
1: I often get into this conversation um with people because I, I really truly believe Um, that 27 years ago, when I found myself transitioning into a role, it was a two-day temporary assignment in a logistics company. I found myself um, transitioning into this role um, just because, you know, my mother told me so, one, but two, I needed to do something. (laughs) I needed to do something different. And uh, I I got into the role. I started auditing um, some files and some paperwork and Uh, And then, uh, and I I was very um, anal, if I could say that word, about um, the details of the information that I was looking at. And so I became the auditor and the compliance um, uh, individual over I 9s uh, and um, record keeping. And so, uh, one of the things that I transitioned to was recruiting. And ultimately I had to learn what the practices and policies were around recruiting and the requirements around uh, individuals being eligible to even uh, be considered a viable candidate, uh, which would land them a seat at the table. And what I noticed is that most black and brown people didn't have a seat at the table because there were background checks that interfered with them even being able to qualify to be considered right and then even with that your resume is not even reviewed so your your resume is not even going into in front of anyone before your background check is reviewed and so I, I just I thought it was the most um asinine process ever and so I, I said to myself okay I'm, I know I'm new here so what do we do how do we how do we change this you know what, what's the what's the first step to advocating for people who look like me um, to have an opportunity outside of this background check process well it was a bigger fight it was a bigger conversation but um, I had a space where I could make recommendations and so in this logistics company There were multiple divisions, and so I figured that I would uh, pick the low-hanging fruit, which was the -the on-the-road drivers, because that's where the biggest need was. And so when you start to talk about being creative in the recruiting and talent space, that was one of the ways that we decided to be a little more um, creative with attracting uh, and recruiting talent. Unfortunately, the organization had... Guidelines uh, and policies around what their requirements were uh, for on-the-road drivers, especially when you were traveling inter-state um, versus intrastate. Uh, and so, I-, I thought the unfairness of it all—it um, just—it it was stifled, it was muffled, and it took more than just my voice. Um, but I planted the seed. I planted the seed. I continued to have the conversation um, as often as I could, um, as loud as I could, year after year. And we finally, you know, pressed forward 10 or 15 years, I'd say 15 years where I was in a mortgage company and we started becoming a little more progressive with the customer service reps and looking at backgrounds um, where if you had a blemish background is what I call it. Uh, a felony uh, that maybe you would be considered if it's older than five years or if it's older than seven years or if it's older than 10 years. So now we're starting to massage the requirements and the rules around what would allow these individuals to have a seat at the table. And so uh, it it didn't truly get us where we needed to be, but it was another step forward. And so now where we are 10 to 15 years later down the road, we are looking at justice-involved individuals as another viable candidate pool for talent, uh, and and we have to right now because we are in a state of transition. You cannot continue to look in one candidate pool for the same. Candidates and think that you'll you'll get you know a diverse or array of talent. We have to be more open to the individuals that we are looking to attract and retain, uh, and the skill sets that they bring with them. Uh, And so, over the years, I've noticed how many corporations have become a little more liberal with loosening their regulations and their policies around their background checks. Uh, not just because uh, they want to build their talent or their candidate base, because it's the right thing to do.
0: Do you feel that this speaks directly to diversity and inclusion and equity policies that are now being adopted by many com- companies across the across the board?
1: I think it starts the conversation. I would love to say it speaks directly to it, but I think that diversity, equity, and inclusion is such as a much bigger Uh, a conversation um, around, um, you know, justice and what that looks like for um, those who have been adversely impacted by just say, background checks and and that type of system um, that has been historically been placed to put in place to keep some people out. Um, But to also meet the needs of the business. So we have to think about people have businesses to run as well. And what does that look like? Um, However, um, it's double jeopardy for some people, they've served their time. And so therefore, when they transition out, what's next? It's double jeopardy if they can't find a a sustainable, viable job to transition to. Are they supposed to make a living and provide for their families? They've already done their time. so. I think that uh it, it definitely is a conversation worth having under the umbrella of diversity, equity and inclusion, but I think it it starts the conversation.
0: I can definitely follow that and I think you're pointing out so beautifully that this is um, double jeopardy, as you're saying, a two-edged sword for the individuals who've both served their time and now they're trying to move forward in career paths or in just job security or securing a job. Um, Does this impact the black and brown communities more um, extensively than others? What have you seen?
1: Um, We have been historically placed in positions where you know, the cards have been stacked against us. Uh, Are we the only individuals that have been impacted by it? No. But when you start to pull the data and you start to look at the information, you realize that um, we, the majority of us, are Black and brown. And so that's where you have to start peeling back the layers to determine why, to understand why, to understand uh, if the justice system has created um, a specific area for certain people to not have an opportunity to transition or have the same opportunities to transition into roles and responsibilities or or jobs as everyone else. And if so, what does that look like from a pay perspective? So I can get the job But because I'm Black or brown and I'm woman, does that mean I'm going to be paid the same amount? So so now you're transitioning into a different conversation under diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if I'm paid the same amount, does that mean I'm doing the same amount of work or am I doing twice the amount of work? What does that look like? Will I get the same opportunities for training and development, for promotions? So I think uh, when you start to peel back the layers on all of that, it starts the conversation just at the beginning of the journey, but the journey doesn't stop. It does. It just doesn't stop there. Um, It's there's so much more to unpack
0: in that conversation. And I love that you're starting it with me right here in terms of just showing the larger perspective that this is um, their layers. There are, uh, contingencies to consider, there are, this is a large topic that we're even just having a quick, we're just putting our little pinky toe in this conversation to try and illuminate some of the challenges um, and some of which that you've seen as an HR representative. And now I'm really interested in Sheba. Tell me about Sheba and how you're able to take some of these challenges and how you're able to address them through your um, consulting company, Sheba.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the great thing about Sheba is that I can actually go into a number of different um, small businesses and organizations, do an assessment on their their skill gaps and their talent gaps and make recommendations around what I've, what I've experienced in my career um, over, over these two decades. And um, given those experiences, um, given those skill assessments and those talent assessments and the recommendations that I can make, I, I'm making them through three different lenses. I'm not making them through one lens. And so therefore, where I would tell a small business, whether if it's a small business of color or not, uh, is that if there is no diversity plan put in place to ensure that their leadership team and that their management team, uh, and that the teams that are making decisions around who they're hiring look like the individuals that they are uh, interviewing and recruiting, then that's one of the biggest mistakes that any of us could ever make. Uh, And so oftentimes, some of these small businesses uh, are unaware, one, uh, of, you know, some of the practices that need to go in place or need to be put in place in order to help them with that. But two, um, they actually take themselves out of the running for the best candidate for the job. They don't have as many candidates that they could potentially attract by not having a diversity plan. And so it's my job to educate them. It's my job to ensure that they have a lucrative and equitable plan in place. It is my job to cross train them on behavior-based interviews so that they can understand how, what questions to ask, which questions uh, they shouldn't be asking. Um, we don't want to get someone to the table and ask them, are you uh, 100% Black or are you 50% Black? You you, you don't want to ask that question. Uh, you don't want to ask a person's age. You don't want to ask, <laughs> how many children do you have? Um, so there there are certain things that, you know, um, working in Sheba and, and being a consultant and being able to transition into these small businesses um, and being on the ground floor with them to help them because they want to do the right thing. They just want to make sure they can sustain their business. What that looks like. Um, Most of the time, uh, they don't receive that type of support. So that's where the reward is for Sheba.
0: And this brings me to a really interesting um, a concept of, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, justice impacted individuals. I think that's the term that you called it. So do you see that either the small businesses or the businesses that are um, of people of color, black or brown people, are they also hesitant to hire those justice impacted ind- individuals?
1: They are, um, oftentimes they are some are desperate, and they'll do it anyways, and so they don't they haven't truly vetted out the candidate, regardless if they are just as involved or not um, to determine if that that candidate is is a good fit um, but uh for the most part, people are nervous, they're nervous because they don't they're not educated, they don't understand that um they the risk that they think they're taking on an individual uh needs to be set aside. And looked at as not a risk, but an opportunity to one, gain the skills and the experience of an individual who may be seasoned in the area that they need them to be seasoned in. And when you start to look at the skill set over a certain amount of years, in the debt that that individual paid over a certain amount of years, for instance, if a person was convicted of a crime 10 years ago, They transitioned out and they have 10 to 15 years of work history where they've consistently have been promoted and gained multiple levels of skills and experiences in the area that this individual needs them, where you're not going to hold it against them that they may have made a mistake in their youth 15 to 20 years ago. That is something, yes, you can take into consideration and maybe incorporate in how you ask them about their past experiences and how it's created successes for them now. Uh, And so I think that we have to learn how to turn the conversation around to make it positive so that it's a success for them, it's a win for the candidate, and it's a win for the organization. And most of the time, much like individuals with disabilities, these candidates are just so excited to have opportunities, they work that much harder for you. So it's a it it turns out to be more of a win win than anything.
0: I really love that. And now you've gotten my my ideas flowing, and I'm interested in a success story. What's one of your greatest success stories from what you've seen in this area?
1: There was a gentleman who was a manager of human resources at another organization, um, and this individual came into just walked right off the street, came into the the building sat down, filled out an application, interview, extremely articulate, extremely smart, um, educated. He had his bachelor's degree, uh, and then he, he'd had a lot of experience, but he had a lot of, of um, gaps in between his timeline, his work history. And so as we're looking at it, we could tell this, this individual has something to offer. He was just so polished and and well-spoken and and presented himself extremely well. And so we gave him a seat at the table uh, to go through the interview, blew us away. It was a panel interview of three, blew, totally blew us away. So... Before he, we, he left the, the interview, we were like, yes, would you like to work here? We're going to hire you, but here's the thing. We have to go through the background check, the drug test, and we, we gave him the spiel. And he looked at us and he said, I could definitely pass the drug test, the background check. I'm not sure. When I was 18, I murdered someone. It was in self-defense. However, I didn't have enough information, enough, I didn't have enough witnesses to corroborate the story. And so I ended up doing 33 years. Yes. So needless to say, my mouth is wide open, right? And I'm floored and I'm thinking to myself, well, that sucks. One, two, oh my God, I would never know this if this guy didn't like offer the information. And so I said to him, Okay, well, you know we can we can work through this. And he just looked at me and he teared up and started crying. <laughs> like, all right, I have a lot of stories, but this one is a little different. And he looked at me. He said, "Miss, you don't understand. I don't typically have a person that sits in front of me to say we can work through this." I advocated for him um, with our asset protection team to. Uh, see if we could work with the fact that his um, offense was so old uh, to see if we could create um, an opportunity for him. And so they said, you know, we could hire him as an entry level warehouse worker, but the position he was applying for, we could not hire him for it. He didn't meet the qualifications for it. So we hired him. He came in, and the guy did a phenomenal job, blew us away at just being a packer in a warehouse. So he learned everything he could about the business. He moved around to multiple departments. He began training um, new hires and new leaders that came into the organization. Once he gained the confidence to believe that he could you know, interview for another position, that he didn't have to take another background check for. He interviewed for an entry-level leadership position, got it, was promoted, began doing a phenomenal job, ended up interviewing again for a mid-level management position. It's still there today, and so I'm not going to date myself, but this is like back in 2010, so we're talking. He's been there for 12 years almost now. just absolutely amazing and so every now and again he finds me he reaches out and says you know if it wasn't for you I wouldn't be where I am and I just wanted to continue to keep in front of you that if it, you know you are Godson and you advocated for me and this is what you do for people and I want you to know that you are appreciated and he's constantly reminding me of that and so sometimes it just really is a great pick-me-up because it happens when it's it's most needed um but it's that's just one story right that if we never gave him an opportunity where would he be today he made a mistake trying to defend himself when he was 18 years old did a 33 year sentence and now he is making a living he is married his um I'm not sure what his relationships with is with his children, but he is happy and he is thriving and he's giving back to people that were like him. So, um, that's one of the main success stories or the biggest success stories that come to mind right now, uh, that I I just, I'm extremely proud of.
0: And you're emphasizing again for me that this work is important. So like we said before, there's this continuum of, of kind of pushing forward and making sure that there's advancement and it takes so many different players to do so and as you have your career and have you are right in the thick of people development i see the benefit of it and i i don't think i've ever really had a conversation with you about what exactly you do for people because we talk about all sorts of different things but what exactly you do to move people forward, but I see the benefit in this additional chance in the seat at the table and allowing us to have the second look at people who would otherwise be overlooked.
1: The work work doesn't stop there. Just because you get them in the building doesn't mean that you you stop advocating for them and you stop um, supporting them and, and you stop pushing the needle forward on making sure they have a mentor and the tools and the resources and the education and the training Um, to be successful at their job. So um, that's one of the things And before we wrap up that I would like to emphasize that just because you you help them get a seat at the table doesn't mean that's where the work stops for them.
0: And I think that's so important too, because there's not an endpoint. It's not once you're there. Okay. All right. We've arrived. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're always learning, growing, and there are additional levels to reach for. So to have individuals such as yourself right there in the position to say, come on, let, let, let me bring you up. Let me kind of push you along. I think that's wonderful and it's necessary. So what's your hope for this um, group of people that you're moving forward? The individuals maybe you haven't even met yet that you're moving forward. What's your hope for them?
1: My hope is that... Um, organizations will become a little more lenient with their background checks process. And uh, I'm not saying do away with it. I'm just saying that they need to put other um, other practices in place to give individuals who may be just as involved or just as impacted an opportunity to showcase their skills and to um, you know, support their organizations to make that organization successful. They have something that you may need. And so to get a little creative around one, how we go about attracting and recruiting the talent and two, how do we mentor and support them? How do we foster an environment that's supportive of building success stories?
0: I think you've, going to leave us right there on this high note, that building of success stories. Ms. Cicero, thank you for joining me. Thank you for this conversation. And I know there are many more to come in the future.
1: All right. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to our producer, Johnny Marquat, and executive producer, David DeRoche. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to the podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QU Podcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. That address is QUPodcasts at QU.edu. On the next show, I'll be sitting down with my friend, Mr. Milton Johnson of the Bridgeport Police Department. All right, that's it for today. Till next time.